I'll begin tonight reading from Ezekiel 28, verses 25 to chapter 29, verse 21. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. When I gather the people from Israel, from the nations where they have been scattered, I will be proved holy through them in the sight of the nations. Then they will live in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob. They will live there in safety and will build houses and plant vineyards. They'll live in safety when I inflict punishment on all their neighbors who maligned them. Then they will know that I am the Lord, their God. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, on the twelfth day, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak to him and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, you great monster lying among your streams. You say the Nile belongs to me. I made it for myself. But I will put hooks in your jaws and make the fish of your streams stick to your scales. I will pull you out from among your streams with all the fish sticking to your scales. I will leave you in the desert, you and all the fish of your streams. You will fall on the open field and not be gathered or picked up. I will give you as food to the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky. Then all who live in Egypt will know that I am the Lord. You have been a staff of reed for the people of Israel. When they grasped you with your hands, you splintered and you tore open their shoulders. When they leaned on you, you broke and their backs were wrenched. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will bring a sword against you and kill both man and beast. Egypt will become a desolate wasteland. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Because you said, the Nile is mine, I made it. Therefore, I am against you and against your streams, and I will make the land of Egypt a ruin and a desolate waste from Migdal to Aswan, as far as the border of Cush. The foot of neither man nor beast will pass through it. No one will live there for forty years. I will make the land of Egypt desolate among devastated lands, and her cities will lie desolate forty years among ruined cities. And I will disperse the Egyptians among the nations and scatter them through the countries. Yet, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. At the end of forty years, I will gather the Egyptians from the nations where they were scattered. I will bring them back from captivity and return them to Upper Egypt, the land of their ancestry. There, they will be a lowly kingdom. It will be the lowliest of kingdoms and will never again exalt itself above the other nations. I will make it so weak that it will never again rule over the nations. Egypt will no longer be a source of confidence for the people of Israel, but will be a reminder of their sin in turning to her for help. Then they will know that I am the Sovereign Lord. In the twenty-seventh year, in the first month on the first day, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, drove his army in a hard campaign against Tyre. Every head was rubbed bare and every shoulder made raw. Yet he and his army got no reward from the campaign he led against Tyre. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am going to give Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will carry off its wealth. He will loot and plunder the land as pay for his army. I have given him Egypt as a reward for his efforts, because he and his army did it for me, declares the Sovereign Lord. On that day I will make a horn grow for the Israelites, and I will open your mouth among them. Then they will know that I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we have the um, privilege of um, looking at a passage from Ezekiel. And um, I have a, um, I suppose, a hunch that uh, Ezekiel and its kissing cousin, Leviticus are probably two of the 
most um, neglected books uh, in uh, church uh, church Bible study, teaching, preaching, uh, and more. Uh, of course, I think they're f- phenomenally important. I think Leviticus is the absolute constitution of the Bible. And Ezekiel, you might say, is very close relative, um, and that's mixing a metaphor, I'm sorry, uh, of of the book of Leviticus. And I don't think it's possible to really understand the the book of Le- well, look book of Ezekiel uh without really having a grasp or even a limited grasp of God's holiness, uh <clears throat> of God's glory and God's sovereignty. And you know, we use these terms all the time. We talk about them, we throw them around, but certainly in the book of Ezekiel, you see these uh, in the most dramatic uh, and at times frightening and at other times very, uh, very assuring way. Years ago, we, Christchurch, we did a Bible study on Ezekiel. I think we um, um, started out, if I'm not mistaken, virtually every Bible study with this statement. I'm not sure where it came from. It may have been John Goldingay. Um, but the statement was something uh, like, it went something like this. And uh, every every teacher, because we shared the, uh, the study, had their own version of it. But God will not be mocked. Uh, God takes being God very... Uh, God takes being God with the utmost seriousness. He will not be trivialized, okay? God will not be taken for granted. And again, just a reminder that whether it's in the life of Israel or in the life of the nations, uh, this is equally equally true, uh, equally true for both. And uh, the book of Leviticus, sorry, Ezekiel, um, really falls into three parts, easily, easily falls into three parts, with the first 24 chapters being about God's revelation and God's judgment of Israel, and uh, chapters 25 to 32 being about the... Uh, God's judgment on the surrounding, excuse me, surrounding nations. And then finally, 32 to 48, uh, a future restoration of Israel, obviously looking forward to um, uh, to the future. And so when we read chapter 29 uh, of Ezekiel, we're in the middle of the section in which God is going to pronounce judgment uh, upon uh, upon the nations. And uh, looking at this, I was I was kind of struck by the the similarities, not uh, in this case with Leviticus, but the similarities between Ezekiel, yes, and the Book of Exodus. And uh, whoever put the parashot together, whoever put the, the lectionary together, in a way chose well. And uh, certainly on the surface, as in our readings in Exodus, chapter 6 through 9, we have <coughs> uh, Moses and his going down to, to Pharaoh uh, and confronting Pharaoh, etc. Judgment on Egypt and more. And of course, we have a chapter here that also talks about the judgment on Egypt. But as Phil reminded us at a much, much later, sorry, much, yeah, much later period. But the similarities um, really don't, um, really don't stop there. Um, Or the parallels or the irony, what, um, so in the book of Exodus, you have a people 
who are going from exile, yes, to the promised land. In the book of Ezekiel, you have a people who are going from the promised land uh, into, uh, into exile. And they're going uh, into exile uh, because they're being judged. And it's their behavior that's condemning them. Uh, of course, in the book of Deuteronomy, they're warned that this might be, this might be their fate uh, if they're not, uh, if they're not obedient. And both books um, not only, of course, highlight uh, the need for obedience, but in both cases, um, obedience is not an end in itself. In both cases, in both uh, in both books. So, for example, in the book of uh, in the book of Ezekiel, right? It's Israel's unfaithfulness and lack of obedience that drives God uh, out of His temple, so His presence departs uh, from the land, departs from the city parts from the Holy of Holies. So God's presence by uh, Israel's unfaithfulness, and by the way, that unfaithfulness is not only idolatry and immorality, <clears throat> as we read, uh, being carried out in the very heart uh, of the temple itself, uh, but it's also Israel's failure to observe the laws of purity, as found in the book of Revelation. So God's presence departs um, the book of Exodus. Um, you might say the whole purpose of God calling his people out of Egypt is found in one of my favorite verses. So I'll always look for an excuse to read it, but I think it's ap uh, appropriate here. So God calls and brings his people out of Egypt with signs and wonders he brings them to Sinai, and then at Sinai, he has Moses uh, build the tabernacle, and God institutes the priesthood. And again, the purpose of, of, of uh, Israel's coming into the land, the purpose, uh, you might say, um, the, the goal of, of uh, the end of exile, right, is not simply to be free and to have you know what we the benefits of freedom and to only stop being a slave as beneficial as that may be, but of course in Exodus twenty nine we read uh, the following. Um, it says, um, "I'm reading. I'm going to read from verse forty uh, two. Um, it's talking about a burnt offering. It's talking about the priesthood. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. And remember, in Ezekiel's case, the glory leaves the temple. Okay. Um, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and, and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priest. I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Right. So what we read about in Exodus 6 through 9, again, the purpose wasn't freedom uh, for the sake of freedom or, you know, shorter, shorter work days, better, you know, better rations, um, what, whatever. The goal was for Israel, right, uh, or God to, to dwell in Israel's presence. So ironically, 
Yes, is uh, in the first Torah portion. Yes, it is from God's. It's from absence. God is not dwelling with His people in Egypt. Uh, it is from absence to presence, and in the book of Ezekiel, it is from presence um, to absence. You might say with all um, with all of the consequences. So I find again the the connection to be a little bit deeper than what we what we see uh, what we see on the surface, and to go back to um, to go back to the theme of presence uh, in Ezekiel thirty seven verse twenty seven God promises after Israel's you might say discipline it's time of uh, punishment of time of exile, uh, the Lord says, I will make my home among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Then they will know I, that I am the Lord, their God, and I am with them. Okay. So again, the theme, both of these, whether it's Exodus, Deuteronomy, and actually, if you want to throw in the kissing cousin uh, of Leviticus, the theme is God's presence, God's dwelling uh, amongst his people, and all the, the benefits, <clears throat> yes, that that brings. But also, again, what we learn in Ezekiel, even in the passage that we read, uh, God's God being a holy God is a good thing. Yes, it comes with many benefits. Uh, it comes with blessings and vitality and life. Uh, but God, God's holiness is also dangerous. Okay. So in our passage, um, we have um, God judging the nations. And um, this is something that the, you might say, the latter, the, uh, the prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, concern themselves with. It's almost as if, I don't know, the, the, the Bible doesn't so much worry about the nations um, until we, we, perhaps we get to the time of, of uh, exile and or exile to Babylon, restoration, uh, in that in that period, and the uh, the judgment has started with the house of God. Uh, judgment first began uh, with Israel and the Jewish people, and after God has brought judgment or disciplined His people, He will then bring uh, judgment or discipline to the nations. So maybe some of us know that expression. That uh, quoted in First Peter, judgment first begins with the house of God. Well, of course, it's pointing to uh, the paradigm, or you might say, points to the past with what happened with um, what happened in uh, Ezekiel's uh, Ezekiel's time. And it is very important, yes, that um, Israel. Uh, and the sorry that Israel uh, see God's fairness and God's justice. That Israel isn't only singled out uh, for punishment, but uh, that the punishment will um, will fall upon uh, the nations. And interestingly, the punishment falls upon the nations in a way uh, that. Um, yeah, befits, you might say, um, uh, befits uh, their uh, their crime or uh, their not, and what's, what might be their crime or the, befits the way that they treated uh, the people of God, Israel, and at the same time, the way they uh, rebelled against, um, uh, against, you know, God himself. So let's look at a um, little bit of the, of the of the judgment against Egypt. <clears throat> we started actually in 28, and in verse 28, God uh, again 
reminds people, I will gather the house, chapter 28, verse 25, I will gather the house of Israel from the peoples amongst whom they are scattered, manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations. Then they shall dwell in their own land that I gave to my servant Jacob. They shall dwell securely in it, and they shall build houses and plant vineyards. They shall dwell securely when I execute judgment upon their neighbors, whom they have, who, sorry, who have treated them with contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord, their God. By the way, so there's not only a principle here of God, you might say, being fair or God, right? Um, uh, holding the nations to a similar standard as he does to the people of Israel, but is also uh, something that plays itself out in the Bible and perhaps plays itself out in history. And I think you can oftentimes see this in the history of the church or even maybe at times uh, in our own lives. God will use other nations to discipline Israel. God will use nations or ideologies or institutions at times to discipline or to punish. Uh, it's, these words are um, <clears throat> sometimes difficult to define, so let's leave them slightly undefined. Uh, they will bring disgrace or uh, you might say, persecution uh, to the church itself. Okay, some these are you might say what the Bible may call the rod of God's anger, or or, and so <clears throat> is it punishment? Is it discipline? Do we only reap what we sow? I think I'd like to leave that on the side for a moment and not enter into that theological discussion. But I think what's oftentimes critical is the very thing that brings us discipline or the so-called rod of God's anger um, is, you might say, doesn't get away, get away scot-free or somehow doesn't pay. So God may bring a nation to discipline the, his people, Israel, but woe to that nation. Yes, woe to that nation, because that nation equally will also be uh, under judgment. Uh, so in all of this, there's no self-righteousness uh, or like, oh, we're the good guys and, you know, they're, they're, they're the bad ones because they're sin sinning. All, you know, are under, uh, are under judgment, under scrutiny. So... Um, God will regather uh, Israel. He's going to manifest his holiness in the sight of the nations, right? And they will dwell uh, in their own land. And of course, God later says that he does this uh, not because Israel's virtuous, etc. God says he does this uh, for his... Um, he does this for his own sake. He does this to uh, sanctify his name. Uh, the people of Israel, uh, according to Ezekiel, uh, brought desecration or shame to the name of God. But God will restore them, uh, but God will do it in such a way in which uh, he, he's, going to, he's going to get the glory. Okay? So how else is God glorify himself. So he has an oracle here, or uh, an oracle, seven oracles, seven uh, statements, right, that uh, highlight yeah, Egypt's uh, sin or arrogance. And this is uh, Egypt's the last of seven nations that, uh, that, are, that surround Israel. And um, these seven nations are under judgment for different, but oftentimes uh, very overlapping reasons. So in verse 25, um, 
sorry, in chapter 25, for example, we have God's judgment on Tyre. Uh, and this judgment is uh, Tyre's arrogance because of its, you might say, because of its um, its economic uh, its economic prowess. As Tyre was the, well, what was once recently the Hong Kong. I guess it's the you would say today it's the Dubai uh, <clears throat> of the world. Uh, it was very very successful. Uh, very um, powerful, very rich, uh, with a trading empire that uh, connected through the entire uh, the entire known uh, known world, and um, they um, the uh, you might say the the prophecy is quite quite extensive. Egypt is also under judgment, but Egypt's judgment is, uh, or its arrogance, is perhaps because it's dependent, uh, dependent, dependent in the past so much on its, uh, on its military prowess. But the Lord does say, through the prophet, he says, set your face against the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and prophesy, uh, prophesy against him, and against Egypt, speak and say, thus saith the Lord, behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of the stream, right? That says, my Nile is my own. I made it myself. So here you have um, Ezekiel calling uh, the Pharaoh, all right, this great dragon, or this uh, crocodile, uh, literally in Hebrew, it's a it's, it's a crocodile. Could be a crocodile. Could be could be a dragon. And of course, the Egyptians worship deified uh, the crocodile uh, as a god, and in some cases, the as the um, uh, uh, source uh, source of the Nile. Um, so this is, of course, crocodiles are very powerful, very dangerous, and uh, it's easy to see why uh, pagans might uh, worship the crocodile. Uh, but, you know, there's also this, throughout the scripture, this uh, dragon that uh, has, has more of a cosmic dimension. The dragon, uh, uh, or or the Leviathan uh, is the <laughs> enemy of God that uh, brings chaos uh, and more. So you can see you can see kind of a not just Egyptian arrogance on the surface, or Egyptian pride, or the lack of dependence upon God. Uh, you can see something at a at a deeper level, and. Uh, in some ways, it hints back to Deuteronomy, what, 32 and Psalm 82, in which, right, the, the, the nations are often under the control of the demonic, okay? And so you have a pharaoh. Uh, again, he's called, uh, yes, this, uh, he... Pharaoh connects himself with this uh, uh, divine figure, and you know this great dragon. All right, the, the dragon itself, or the crocodile itself, which is a which is Pharaoh, says the Nile is my own. I made it myself. So the source of life for Egypt is the Nile, and here's a man. Um, yeah, right under the influence of a bad spiritual force who's saying, you know, I'm the one who's giving life to this country. Yes, I create the Nile, right? I, it's my water, you know, that brings, uh, that brings uh, uh, security or safety, you know, to, to the desert in which, and the Lord says, I'm gonna put hooks into your jaws 
and make the fish of your stream sick, stick to your scales, meaning I'm going to, to, to force you, yes, as the leader, and I'm going to pull you to judgment. And the fish of your, the fish are, are this is the people of, uh, of Egypt, right? They're going to suffer because of the arrogance uh, of their, of their leaders. Um, and so he's going to be cast into the wilderness, right? From a place of water, place of life, a place of, you know, right? Where basically you have security and know you're going to have something to eat tomorrow. Um together with his people. And um, you're going to fall in the open field and not be brought together or gathered to the beast of the earth and to the birds of the heavens. I will give you as food. So very horrible uh, judgment, but it should remind us of um, what we read in uh, Leviticus, is it 26, where it talks about uh, something similar, and also the curses, uh, the curses in uh, Deuteronomy. And it says, then the inhabitants of Egypt shall know I am uh, the Lord. And all of this trouble and, and judgment that comes upon Egypt, um, really for redemptive purposes. It's not in this account God being mean for the sake of mean, uh, being mean, or God getting revenge because they've treated his, you know, his people uh, in uh, such a uh, such a bad way. And we'll read we'll read about some of their uh, transgressions uh, in just a minute. Um, so. The inhabitants of Egypt will know that that he is the Lord. If they don't know from the regathering of Israel, they'll know it from their um, their judgment. And actually, by the way, the people of Israel, according to what we just read, chapter twenty-five, they should they know not only God's not only man, manifested um, his holiness, okay. God's manifested his holiness by regathering them, but they will also find in this, right, uh, a revelation of God's holiness, right? God's not just holding them to some standard, but his standard uh, uh, is universal. It's for Israel, uh, is for Israel and the nations. And then as Phil read to us, um, when... Uh, it says, because you have been a staff uh, of reed to the house of Israel, when they grasp you with the hand, you broke and tore all their shoulders. And when they leaned on you, they broke and made all their loins shake. Therefore, I'll bring a, I'll bring a sword upon you and uh, will cut you off. Um, sorry, will cut off from you man and beast and the land of Egypt will be a desolate waste. Then you will know, um, I am the Lord. And of course, this is Egypt promised to um, help uh, Israel, uh, help Judah uh, with the Babylon. Sorry, with the Babylonians. And of course, they they didn't keep their promise. Couldn't keep their promise. Um, and so, uh, of course, God told through Jeremiah, especially told people of Judah, not to rebel, not to get into, you might say, not to get in cahoots uh, with the Egyptians, but uh, they disobeyed, they made the wrong alliance, but still, uh, the Egyptians promised, uh, and they didn't keep their promise, uh, Israel went into ex exile, and again, we have the... Um, um, the pun Egypt's being punished, and the, but here's the beautiful part of the story. The beautiful part of the story is that <clears throat> Egypt doesn't remain punished or doesn't remain God's enemy. Uh, very tellingly, from verse thirteen onward, 
At the end of 40 years, I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they were scattered. Okay. Now, I don't, we don't, nobody thinks that the 40 years here are literal. 40 years, like the 40 years that Israel spent in the desert, this was the, a, a long period. That was a period of, uh, again, a period of chastisement. Um, and God will restore their fortunes, according to verse 14, and bring them back to the land of Pathros, the land of their origin. That is Upper Egypt, right, where probably um, you might say, you have the not only the source of the Nile, but uh, an important uh, center of ancient uh, Egyptian civilization. And now they'll be restored, but they'll be humbled, right? Um, they uh, will be a lowly kingdom and never again exalt itself amongst the nations. And I don't. I, I think that's John or Phil. They may know better than I, but I don't. That's certainly um, something that you see uh, from this point onwards throughout all of history. Egypt's important culturally. Um, uh, Egypt becomes part of a, a Roman Empire, a part of the Byzantine Empire, a part of a Islamic Empire, but it's not quite, it's not Egypt in and of itself that... Uh, that ever becomes uh, significant, significant again. And uh, if, if I'm mistaken about that, I'd like uh, like to hear God will make them small that they won't rule over the nations. Okay. And um, again, <laughs> all of this is for the sake of uh, revelation. Um, and... The again, the redemption of Egypt, or you might say that Egypt's punished, but uh, you can we can read passages in Zechariah, or we can read passages, the famous passage in Isaiah 19. I think everyone's familiar with that. That certainly uh, has uh, a future for Egypt. Again, uh, the punishment of, of something, some, uh, discipline. Of, uh, of a nation like Egypt, not for the sake of uh, punishment or God's uh, getting angry, but of course God's holiness, uh, God's reputation uh, is at stake. And it's important that it's seen, you know, in the way he deals with the merciful way and also the holy way in which he deals with Israel. Uh, Israel and the nations. So we all know the, I think that most of us know the verse because the verses are very beautiful. But Isaiah foresees the day in which they're the enemies of Israel, you know, the enemies that were always fighting uh, between each other, the empires and the, what we call the Fertile Crescent. Um, Assyria in the north, Egypt in the south, Israel in the middle, which always got smashed, crushed, spindled, mutilated, uh, etc. Um, most of chapter, much of chapter nineteen, uh, is about uh, Egypt, um, about the Lord making Himself known in Egypt. So this is more than just their their restoration or or a blessing. It's about Egypt coming uh, to a knowledge uh, of the Lord. It says in this passage in 1925 of Isaiah, the Lord will strike will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy. And in that day, which is an interesting phrase, but in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. And that day, Egypt, sorry, in that day, Israel will be third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst uh, of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed. Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, uh, 
the work of my hands and Israel is my inheritance. But it's almost seems to me that none of that could have happened unless Egypt was uh, healed of its, you might say, its arrogance, uh, the arrogance of its rulers, uh, its military might, um, uh, etc. So it was a cure for hubris, uh, a cure for pride. And in the midst of all that, which, and again, we can kind of sit here and talk about this kind of academically and intellectually, but of course, just remember how horrific yes, all of these this was or how horrific ancient warfare was, and people going into slavery and drought or starvation, right, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But after all this horrific, horrific things that happened, right, it, Egypt is brought to a point of not only being dependent upon God and receiving God's favor, but it's brought to a point of of uh you know coming uh you know coming to know uh the lord and i don't know that we perhaps get too involved in um um too involved uh, just looking at this historically i think the question we can ask you know, is this still true for the different nations of, uh, you know, of the world, uh, of, of the world uh, today? Um, so uh, what relevance does this have for us today? But And by the way, I, the point of God not only humbling Israel, um, because, of course, Israel refuse to repent but the point of also um, later in the book of Ezekiel we read um, after we read the famous chapters of um, Isaiah sorry Ezekiel 36 38 about Gog and Magog and it's very interesting that the this war of Gog and Magog. And I, by the way, I don't pretend and I don't think anyone really knows who these nations, perhaps most of these nations really are. Um, there are seven nations, just like God uh, has Ezekiel prophesy against, um, uh, against seven nations. Um, in the middle of the book of Isaiah, which, by the way, um, the nations that he prophesies against, uh, he addresses them in, in a clockwise clockwise order. He starts with Ammon, which is today the central Jordan. He goes further south to Moab, to Eden, to Philistia, okay, um, to Tyre. Uh, to Sidon, okay. uh, and then eventually he ends up uh, he ends up in Egypt, and the other nations there, uh, some of the smaller nations like the the Moabites and Edomites, uh, they're they're judged for their being gleeful, yes, at what happens to uh, what happens to their enemies, uh, and their enemy was Israel. And if there's a modern application, I, I can suggest, but uh, uh, people, we can all think about this. There's a modern application to this. We, you know, we might be very gleeful, you know, when um, certain politicians or certain uh, people who hold to certain ideologies, which are clearly wrong or sinful and even <clears throat> destructive, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, we, if they fall or they embarrass themselves or they expose themselves, you know, that might not be the right attitude. It might be a good thing that someone holding a certain position, uh, you know, is discredited. But <laughs> but at the same time, uh, maybe it's God that using these things to uh, uh, to bring us, you know, 
to you know back to back to repentance. But I'd like to end the point with uh, Gog and Magog and and all the war, which I'm not going to think of this as you know the Russians and Putin invading Israel, or the Chinese invading Israel. But again, the the war uh, comes after Israel is living securely in its land, after it's been restored, after God is now presence is dwelling in the land. In uh, chapter thirty-seven, we read that verse. Okay, and so why, why after all this restoration and all this peace and all God doing? These wonderful things for his people. Then all of a sudden, they have trouble again. Yes, is it about you know the the redemption again, the redemption of Israel? It's God may be in a sense, and and Ezekiel's understanding, he may be in a sense um, uh, finished, not finished, or do have done his work. Uh, in and among the people of Israel, but he, his redemptive purposes isn't yet finished for the nations. Okay, so um, I'm going to read 38. Again, seven nations, just as we read uh, in, in chapters 25 to 32. Now we have another seven nations. They're coming down to the land of unwalled villages and, got, and then and in 39, 21, and I will set my glory among the nations, and the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed and my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know that I, the Lord, their God, from that day, I am the Lord, their God, from that day forward, and the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries. And they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions and hid my face. Okay. Therefore, then it continues, therefore I will restore the fortunes of Jacob, have mercy on Israel, on the whole house of Israel, I will be jealous for my holy name. They will forget my shame. Um, forget, uh, and all the treachery they have practiced against me. They will, here we come back to this idea of dwelling securely in their land with, not, with none to make them afraid. When I have brought them back uh, from the peoples, from the nations, and gathered them from among their their enemy lands, and though they have vindicated, and through them I have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations, they shall know I am the Lord uh, their God, because I sent them into exile among the nations and assembled them in their own land. Okay, I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore, etc., etc. So again, all of this um, uh, in part for the sake of Israel, but in, uh, for the nations itself. So God's purposes, I think, from the very beginning, at least certainly from Genesis chapter 11, right, God's purposes has been to uh, reconcile himself with the nations and have the nations return to him, submit to him. Uh, and we know that uh, Abraham, yeah, God's calling on Abraham, was to be a blessing, right, to the nations um, and to reveal God. Uh, and, of course, we see the completion of God's purposes uh, or his dealings with the nations, not one of judge, not simply uh, dealings of judgment, but also ultimate reconciliation. We best see this uh, not only in the the prophecies of Isaiah, but also in the book of Revelation. So I'm going to finish with two passages. We're all familiar with them. Starting in Revelation 7, we have the passage, we have um, the, the passage which reads that uh, there was a 
a great multitude in heaven, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. All right. So again, I don't know if I want to take this literally, only to say that you know, God has not has been uh, reconciled, or Israel itself has been reconciled with God, uh, and they, and you have Israelites, Jews, Hebrews, yes, uh, standing around God's throne, and then of course you have the um, the great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before God. And before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Mm -hmm. And of course, I like, I know, of course, but really enjoy uh, Revelation 21, when it says, And I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has... No need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who doesn't does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay. And of course, that comes after a long, a long um, uh, period, or well, at least in a, in a literary sense, of God's uh, God's judgment on the nations. Uh, all the nations are destroyed. Uh, we would think that might be the case in the book of Revelation, but ultimately all God's dealings with Israel and with the nations, which we may not always see very clearly or understand uh, when we're in the middle of it. Again, all of, all of those dealings are um, for the purpose of redemption.